Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing loving-kindness meditation as well as talking about true love. Because in our group learning program here in the Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, as well as broadcasting out to our YouTube channel, Twitch, Periscope, and capturing this for our podcast as well. And on Sunday, we explored chapter 14, which is true love, love without attachment, a very important and helpful aspect of learning and practicing these teachings because it really helps to blossom our relationships, whether it's relationships with a life partner, with children, with parents or siblings, anybody in our life that we're having relationships with, it's really important to learn and practice true love. And because it's such a meaty topic and oftentimes you don't walk away from the first talk fully understanding it. And if you do walk away from the first talk fully understanding it, you probably aren't going to be able to just implement it at the snap of a finger because it's so different than what you've been doing and what you've been up to recently or in your current life. So What I'm going to do is spend a little bit of time just talking about true love again today, and then I'm going to use some real-world examples from my life to help you understand the practice of true love and giving you some different perspectives and examples between me and my wife and me and my son or my son and his mom to help you see what true love is and what true love isn't. And then we'll actually go into learning loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness meditation as a way of cultivating active goodwill or true love in the mind. Because what loving kindness essentially is, is a genuine interest for others to be well and be peaceful, which is very similar to true love. So through cultivating this in the mind and loving kindness meditation, you're then more readily able to actually practice it. So let's talk about true love and just kind of recap a few of the things that we talked about on Sunday and then go into some examples and really discuss it. So let's discuss true love as a bit of a recap from Sunday. Essentially what true love is, is true love is to have care for another person without needing or wanting anything from them specifically, not having this craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations of this other person to do specific things, not having this desire or this longing for a certain outcome and not being attached to that outcome, just being genuinely interested in seeing the other person be well and be peaceful. 
in the unenlightened state, what we oftentimes do is we have craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations of our partner. And when those things are fulfilled, we feel happy. We feel good inside. And when they aren't fulfilled, then we don't feel good. We feel unloved or unhappy. This actually isn't love at all. This is actually craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations kind of masquerading as love. We call it love, but in reality, what it is, is the mind is thinking, I love this person, therefore I want them to be with me because they make me happy. That's not love. That's actually attachment. That's longing with a strong eagerness for this other person to be part of your life. And when they're part of your life, you feel good. The mind feels happy. It feels excited. It feels elated that you have this partner who now sees you interested and is interested in being part of your life. There's lots of fun, lots of enjoyment. But then when you're away from this person, you might feel lonely. You might feel sad. You might feel bored. You might feel like, you know, if they don't spend time with you, you might feel like they don't love you. But in reality, what this is, is this is the mind longing for those pleasant feelings. This is the mind having a strong eagerness and attempting to hold on and grasp for this other person and the activities and things that you guys do together. And the mind can't be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy unless it's got these other things, unless it's got this external satisfaction from this other person, the mind can't be satisfied. So it's discontent. So it's seeking these external pleasure. If this person's with me, the mind feels good. If this person isn't with me, then the mind is discontent. This is craving desire attachment. It's not actually love. What true love would be is instead of this selfish interest of, I want you to be with me so that I will be happy. What true love is, is I'm interested in seeing you be well and you be peaceful. And I'm inwardly content. I'm inwardly peaceful, whether I'm with you or I'm without you. I'm not missing you every second. I'm not thinking about what you do every moment when you're away from me. This actually isn't love. We oftentimes tell people that, gosh, I missed you so much. I love you so much and I missed you. No, that's not love. We call it love, but it's actually attachment. That's why the mind's discontent and missing the person. Or we say, gosh, when you were gone, I was just thinking about you every second. I love you so much. No, that's not love. There's love in there. You have love, I'm sure, for this other person. But what's causing that feeling of you miss this person so much and you're thinking about them every moment and you feel lonely and sad when they're not there is because of the craving, desire, attachments, the wants, the expectations, the mind is holding on to this other person, having this expectation or this desire for this to be permanent and the mind can't be inwardly fulfilled because of this expectations. So some of the things that happen during relationships is oftentimes when we first meet someone who's a potential partner, we will oftentimes cast our hopes and our dreams 
onto this other person. We will kind of expect them to fulfill these hopes and dreams, thinking that they are going to make us happy. And we sometimes look at this other person almost like a prince or princess charming. And we think that if I just have this other person, everything in my life is going to be better. This other person is going to make my life better. And therefore, all I need to do is fixate my mind on getting this other person, attracting this other person and keeping them in my life. And as long as they're in my life, my life is going to be happy. But that's where the mind sabotages itself and it sabotages the relationship because now we crush this relationship thinking that the tighter that we hold on, the more satisfied the mind's going to be. But in reality, the tighter that you hold on, the more that you're crushing and sabotaging the relationship. And six months down the road, a year down the road, you start to realize that this prince or princess charming that you thought was going to be the savior and solve all your problems is essentially just another normal person struggling through life just like you. And they're not going to be the one who solves all the problems in your mind because they can't. Only you can do that. Only you can solve the craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations that is causing that discontentedness. No one else can do it for you. Only you can solve that anger, hatred, and ill will that's in the mind. Only you can solve the delusion, ignorance, unknowing of true reality. Only you can realize non-self and eliminate the ego. So all these problems that we have in the unenlightened state and we don't understand the world around us, we cast our hopes and dreams onto this other person thinking they are the ones who, if we just have them in our life, everything will be perfect. And what we realize three months, six months, a year down the road is this is just another normal person that is struggling through life just like us. But because we cast all our hopes and dreams on Prince or Princess Charming, now when that erodes away and we realize that they're not Prince or Princess Charming, then that's where we say, I don't love you anymore. Right? I don't love you anymore. I loved you before, but now I don't love you anymore. Well, that wasn't true love. What that was, was you having craving, desire, attachment, wants and expectations, this selfish pursuit of wanting this person to fulfill and satisfy certain things that you aren't satisfying yourself. You think that they're going to fill this hole for you in your life and in your mind. And because they didn't do that, which nobody can, nobody in the world can, only training your mind can fix that. But since they didn't do that for you, three months, six months, a year, five years, however long down the road, you say, you know what? I don't love you anymore. And essentially what you've come to realize is your mind is just as discontent three months, six months, a year down the road as it was before you ever met this person. You started out thinking that this person is what was going to fix all of these problems in your life. But you realize down the road, that you've got just as many problems as you did when you started with them however long ago. And because of this, 
what we will do in the unenlightened state is we will bounce around from relationship to relationship thinking that this other person is going to solve the problems. And when we realize that they don't, we bounce around to another relationship and the problems keep following us. Why? Because the problems are in the mind. Craving, anger, ignorance, the self and the ego. Greed, hatred, delusion, the self and the ego, the unknowing of true reality. These are the problems that keep following you around everywhere you go because they're in the mind and you haven't addressed them through the path to enlightenment. But by you learning and practicing these teachings to include meditation, then you're getting to the root of the problem. That's why we call these the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires. You're uprooting these problems in the mind. You're solving it at the source, which is the root in the mind. And then when you solve that and you become inwardly content, inwardly fulfilled, now you can practice true love where you have a genuine interest in all beings being well and being peaceful. And now if you're with your partner, great, wonderful. Let's have a good time. If you're not with them, fine. I'm fine being alone. I don't need to be with anybody else. I'm perfectly peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy, whether I'm alone or whether I'm with somebody else, right? Everything's impermanent. So I can't be with this partner all the time. So you've got to gain that inner fulfillment where you can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, whether you're alone or whether you're with other people. But as long as you have this craving, anger, ignorance, the self and the ego, that's not going to happen. This craving, desire, attachment that's masquerading as love is getting in the way of you being able to experience true love because you're not able to give true love. What you're giving is you're having all this craving, desire, attachment, so that's what you're getting back from the other person. But the more that you understand true love and you are practicing true love, you can identify that with other people and you will choose to involve a partner in your life that is practicing true love. And you guys together will work on your life and you will build a good life together. But as long as you're misunderstanding craving, desire, attachment as love, you're going to find your relationships are going to be a big struggle and a big challenge. Whether it's life partners, children, parents, siblings, as long as there's craving, desire, attachment there, there's always going to be discontentedness. And this is going to make life a real struggle and a real challenge. So the goal is to work on your mind eliminating these things so that you train the mind uprooting these unwholesome roots and the more that you do that the mind's going to gradually become more and more peaceful calm serene and content with joy now what the mind does in these relationships is it has these expectations of other people and if the mind doesn't get the certain outcome that it was expecting to achieve then the mind becomes discontent. So let me give you some examples from my life so that you can understand this kind of in a real world setting. And I'm gonna use something very simple to help you see this more clearly. 
When I first met my wife in America, she didn't know how to do the laundry. She knew how to do the laundry in Thailand, but the machinery and everything in, in America was different. So when she first came to America and we became boyfriend, girlfriend living together, she didn't know how to use the machinery. So I had to teach her how to use the machinery. And that was multiple times before she finally got it and she understood it. And then she was doing it on her own. And she did my laundry and her laundry because at the time she wasn't really working. I was into business and I was working a lot. So she took care of our apartment. Well, then after a few years, she went back to Thailand and lived in Thailand for two years. And I lived in America and I was still a business person and very, very busy. So I hired somebody to come in and do my laundry once a week for me while I went to work. And then she came back from Thailand. So she started taking care of the laundry again. Then after we were in America for a while, we moved to Thailand. And at that time, I was still operating my businesses, still had a lot of money. So we actually hired a housekeeper here in Thailand to cook, clean, take care of the clothing. She even took care of my son for occasional situation here or there. So all the housework was taken care of and we just focused on living life and kind of adjusting to living in Thailand. Well, then I started closing down my businesses and I didn't have much money anymore. So we moved to having house cleaners come once a month or once every two months. Well, then the money kind of dropped off even more and we got to the point where we started doing all the housework and my wife was kind of doing the dishes and the laundry and I was taking care of other stuff. Well, then my wife had to go to America and she had to work in America and she needed to leave my son and I here for three months or so. So then I needed to do the laundry and do dishes and do all the housework without her. Then she came back and then she started doing it again. But then she opened up her own business in the city and she couldn't do it as much anymore. So then I had to start doing my own laundry and supplementing that with sending some off to the cleaners and stuff like this. So what I just explained related to the laundry is a whole lot of impermanence all the way from she didn't know how to do the laundry and I was helping to she was completely away and I had a, someone coming in to do it for me to her doing it to me doing it to having housekeepers, all this back and forth. Now the point in time that we are in our life I do my own laundry. She does her laundry for her and our son, but we kind of help each other here and there as well. But there's no kind of hard, fast expectation of what has to happen in our relationship related to the laundry. So all this impermanence that was happening in our relationship of her moving around, me moving around, different jobs and income that we were having, if at any point in time I had an expectation of what she should or shouldn't be doing related to the laundry, or if she had an expectation of me of what I should or shouldn't be doing related to the laundry, then our minds are going to be discontent. So if she expected having married this husband who at the time had a fair amount of money and lots of successful businesses, had she expected that this husband was always going to be making money and I was always going to have a housekeeper for her and she was never going to have to do any housework. If she held on to that and she expected that and that's what she craved and desired 
And that's how she saw me giving her love by giving her this housekeeper. Well, when that's gone, then she's lost her love because she lost the housekeeper, right? Her mind's going to be discontent. And conversely, if I felt like, okay, great, I've got this wife now. If she's always going to be doing the laundry, then that's her way of kind of repaying me for working and doing all of these things to make money. And my expectation is that she always does the laundry. Well, if I had that mindset, when all of these shifts and changes were happening, I would be discontent. And this is because I caused it. Because my craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations in the relationship were that I expected my wife to always be doing the laundry. Or I expected to always be able to afford a housekeeper. If those things were expectations that I had, if I had this longing and strong eagerness, then when those things no longer existed due to impermanence, then my mind's going to be highly discontent. And if I'm assigning love from my wife as her doing the laundry means that she loves me and that's her way of showing love to me by doing the laundry, well, when she got into a situation where she could no longer do it, and if I'm assigning this expectation of her doing laundry as that's love when in reality it's not but if my mind thought that way then i'm going to think that she no longer loves me because she no longer does the laundry so this is a very simple thing but i'm using it as a way to kind of explain to you this impermanent nature of life and how things are constantly changing and if at any point in time our mind grasps holds on once or expects things to be a certain way and we're expecting a certain outcome from our partner, if we hold on to that, then our mind is going to be discontent and we are actually the one who causes it. Here's another example. In Thailand, children sleep with their parents for pretty much their whole childhood. In Western culture, we kind of sleep on our own pretty much from when we come back from the hospital where we already have a crib and our own bedroom. But in Thailand, children sleep right in the bed with their parents. Well, at one time, my wife and I did sleep in the same bed. We don't any longer. We sleep in two separate rooms. But at one time, we slept in the same bed together. And our son slept right in the middle, right between both of us. And over time, as life has gone on, I now sleep in a separate room. My son most often sleeps with his mom. But occasionally he chooses to come sleep with me in my room. Well, if his mom starts to crave desire and have this attachment, this want and this expectation that her son is always going to sleep with her and she symbolizes that in her mind is this is love to be close to my son and my son wants to sleep with me. Therefore, he loves me. Well, when he chooses to come sleep with dad, her mind's going to be discontent. She's going to be frustrated, irritated, annoyed, angry that he's choosing to come sleep with dad, right? She may even have trouble sleeping because she might get used to sleeping side by side with this other person in the bed and her mind gets attached and has this longing with a strong eagerness for this other person to be laying in the bed next to her. And when my son is not sleeping with her, 
then she has trouble sleeping because the mind is craving this permanence of another being sleeping in the bed next to her. So this is how the mind grasps on. It craves permanence. It might have a certain expectation in the relationship and it assigns the outcome of this expectation as this is love. If my son chooses to sleep with me, he loves me. And if he doesn't, that means he loves dad more than me. And I feel bad because of that. That's craving desire attachment. That's not true love. What true love in that situation would be is my son goes to his mom, says, mom, I'm going to sleep in dad's room today. Okay, have fun. Enjoy. Or, okay, be well. Whatever she would like to say. Or, okay, that's fine. Right? Whatever her response is. But if her response is, either verbally or internally, if she's grabbing and holding on and expecting him to sleep with her every day, then her mind is going to be either quietly discontent or it might be outwardly angry when he chooses to come sleep with me. So the person's mind is what's actually causing this because they're not practicing true love. They're trying to hold on to this person. They're grasping. They're thinking that if I just have this person with me sleeping in the bed, then that means we love each other and therefore we have a good relationship. Rather than recognizing the impermanent nature that this person isn't going to sleep with you forever. It's not possible. This is why when children get married or they go off to college, oftentimes parents cry or they get angry or they get sad or they get lonely or disappointed, right? Or when children leave the house to go to college, the parent's mind is so attached and holding on to the other person, to their child, that when they go away to college, the parent cries or becomes bored or lonely or, or sad. Or when they get married, the same thing happens, right? You would think that when your child gets married, this should be a joyful experience. And for some parents, it, it truly is. For people who are, are less attached or not attached at all. But if you're ever at a wedding and you see people crying, this is because they still have craving, desire, attachment. We're not judging them. Everybody has craving, desire, attachment until you don't and you're actually enlightened. So I giggle because it's kind of cute. It's kind of interesting to see that when you see people's discontent feelings, then you know that, oh, they just have this craving, desire, attachment. And you can have compassion. You can have this concern for their misfortune. And that person is just slowly getting comfortable with their child going farther and farther away. But what true love would do is the parents and the children can train themselves that we can be physically apart, living in different homes with different lives, but we can maintain the love. And the way that you do that is what true love is, is a genuine interest for the other party to be well and be peaceful. And if you can maintain that, where children leave from mom and dad's house, they live in different places, doesn't mean that you don't love them anymore. It just means that you're making a more independent life. You still see them, you still give them gifts, 
you still help them, you still have a relationship with them, you still have this genuine interest in seeing them be well and be peaceful, but you're just not holding on in the mind and you're choosing to be separate. And that's fine. Oftentimes children feel like if they leave their parents' house or they go off to college or they go off with a partner, that they're kind of turning their back on their parents. No, this is just part of life in children growing up and becoming more and more adults. But if the parent or the child sees this closeness of living in the house together and being so close together, if they see that craving desire attachment, which is masquerading as love, when the child leaves the home, the parent might feel like they no longer love me. Or if you have a couple, two life partners, two men, two women, a man and a woman living together, and one of them, say, is a business traveler, and they have to go away every week for business, for travel, and then the other partner gets used to this, well, then some meeting comes up where now they have to go away for three weeks, right? And if their other partner is associating this closeness that we've got to be close in order to have love, then when they go off to work, that person's going to miss them. They're going to feel lonely. They're going to feel sad. They're going to feel like the love is gone. When in reality, what this partner might be doing is really trying to work and provide more and more income for the family. And they're working outside the house more and more and more. And that's what they've got to do in order to sustain the income. But the other partner is reading that as you're away from me. You're not fulfilling my desires and my expectations. Therefore, you don't love me and I don't love you anymore. And now the relationship crumbles and it's all being sabotaged by the unenlightened minds craving desire attachment. So the more that you awaken to these teachings, the more you train the mind to identify this, you will then have peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy and your relationships will blossom where you can have very healthy personal and professional relationships. So let me pause here and see what questions, if any, that we might have. Hi, David. So I'd like to ask about someone I know who's close to me, who recently went through a very difficult breakup. And this person isn't actively practicing Buddha's teachings, but they did say something that was quite insightful and I thought was interesting I would share. They said that what they were feeling at the time was so rough, but it was almost like the opposite, like the direct opposite of what they'd experienced when they were getting together with this other person. And they said that, because when they got together, it was it was very, very intense as well. And they said it was almost like the, the polar opposite, like equal and opposite reaction to that. Like they were paying for the pleasant feelings they were having when they were getting together. I'd just be interested to hear your take on that from the perspective of Buddha's teachings, whether it is a kind of uh, like for like, <laughs> maybe it's not that simple, but just interested to hear your thoughts. The more craving desire attachment that exists in a relationship, the more discontent it's going to be. The tighter you try to hold onto the other person, the stronger the emotions, the more intensity that it's going to create, the more discontentedness, the more sabotage, you're crushing the relationship. And some people get to that like on the first date, right? And if you feel like you're being smothered 
by the other person, that's the craving desire attachment. And oftentimes, if people sense that on the first date, they'll just back away right away. But other people who are craving attention, if they get this partner who's pouring on all this attention, which is essentially craving desire attachment, perhaps, then they might actually feel good about that. And then they really crave that and crave that and they thrive in that environment, this person that's just smothering them. But neither party is realizing that this isn't actual love. There might be love in there and there probably is, but it's being covered up and masquerading this craving desire attachment is masquerading as love. If we push that to the side and eliminate that from the mind, then this true love can shine through. So, you know, when the intensity comes on is all based on the mind of the individual people. What craving desire attachment masquerading as love is, is holding this relationship so tightly. And that's when we're sabotaging and crushing the relationship. What true love is, is just to kind of be open handed. And you've got this relationship and you're just supporting this other person. You're encouraging them you have a genuine wish for them to be well and be peaceful, but you don't want something from them. It's when we start wanting and expecting things from our partner that crushes the relationship, or we start wanting or expecting things from our children, or we start wanting or expecting things from our parents or our siblings or our coworkers. As soon as that comes into the picture, whatever we want, whatever we expect, it's not going to be true 100% of the time because of impermanence. So therefore, our wants are creating the discontentedness because those wants and expectations can't be fulfilled 100% of the time due to impermanence. Therefore, we're sabotaging our mind, we're sabotaging the relationship that at some point, this is going to cause discontentedness. And the more readily that you recognize this in more situations, then you will train yourself not to have these craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations in a relationship. So I'll give you an example. Like my son, he came to me today. He said, Daddy, I'm not sure whether I should sleep with you or sleep with mommy. And I said, it's up to you. Whoever you want to sleep with, it's fine with me. He said, okay, let me think about it. So he thought about it and he came back. He said, Daddy, I'm going to sleep with you. I said, okay, you can sleep with me. So he's here in the room sleeping with me. But I just left it up to him because for me, I'm fine either way. And he just let his mom know, hey, I'm going to sleep with Daddy. Okay, that's fine. But it wasn't always that way, right? There was a period of time a couple years ago where he would go say, Mom, I want to sleep with Daddy. Okay, fine, just go right? Like that's the way my wife, because she was holding on and really tightly, you know, used to this because mom and children, they have deep, deep attachment, right? I mean, Bill's talked about this. Bill's 58, I think, still attached to mom, right? Because he's still, he just started learning these teachings. We can be 50, 60, 80 years old, still attached to our mom oftentimes. And this is going to just create discontentedness when mom dies or when mom does something we disagree with, or our life partner does something we disagree with. So if you just eliminate all of this mental longing with a strong eagerness, expecting things to have a certain outcome, 
and your mind is only going to be satisfied if you get this certain outcome, which is boyfriend's got to call me every day or girlfriend's got to come spend time with me or, you know, we've got to have sex three times a week or he's got to bring me chocolate or flowers or she's got to bring me chocolate or flowers or whatever it is, whatever that expectation is, it's not going to be fulfilled 100% of the time. Therefore, you're setting yourself up to fail and you're just going to sabotage the relationship. So you have these interests of things, but you don't have expectation. So that way, when the flowers show up, oh, wow, that's amazing. I wasn't even expecting that. Or when there's an affectionate time together or, you know, when somebody chooses to call you, oh, wow, that's wonderful. So when you have no expectations, the mind can always be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because everything that happens, it's joyful. I wasn't expecting that. Just residing in the present moment. Oh, this is wonderful. He called me or she called me. Wow, that's great. But once you start expecting it and then it doesn't happen, that's when the problems start. Right, as you said before, the, the mind doesn't like impermanence, right? So it might be that it's getting all these pleasant feelings early on, going out together, having a great time, and it then becomes accustomed to the pleasant feelings that are based on that. And even though 10 years later, that's then changed into maybe having dinner parties, something a bit more civilized with your friends every week or two. It's not that that's any worse, you know, some people would actually prefer that. But because there's been this change, and because they were previously attached perhaps to the, the going out instead of the staying in, mm-hmm. that that can cause the discontentedness to arise. So it's not that the relationship has necessarily changed in a negative direction, it's just that the mind is still hanging on to these requirements, these expectations that it previously had that gave rise to these present feelings. Right, because the mind doesn't like impermanence, it's perceiving any change as bad. So for example, if you meet somebody for the first time and you guys start seeing each other once a week, wow, this is really great. We're having fun. It's enjoyable. Once a week, wonderful. Well, now you guys go to twice a week. Oh, wow, this is pretty nice. This is wonderful. Oh, now three times a week. Oh, now somebody's sleeping over every once in a while. Oh, now we're spending time five days a week together. Well, now something changes with the job or what have you, and then it backs off to twice a week again. Oh, I don't like that. The mind doesn't like that. We went from once a week all the way up to five days a week to sleeping over each other's house every once in a while. And now it gets backed off as twice a week. And now that perceived change is he doesn't love me anymore or she doesn't love me anymore. Instead of recognizing that this is just impermanence and having an open discussion with the person about, oh, you're busier at work, so we can't see each other. Yeah, that's fine. I've actually got some other things that I'm involved in too, so I'm going to take care of those. And, you know, um, yeah, twice spending time together twice a week is fine with me, right? If you're inwardly fulfilled, then whether you're together twice a week or five times a week, it doesn't matter. You're looking at it as a life journey. You're together, you know, for a long term. Whereas if you put all your hopes and dreams on Prince Charming or Princess Charming five times a week, that's your source of happiness, those pleasant feelings. Well, when your source of happiness is gone, wow, you feel discontent. So that's why when these changes start happening in the relationship, people's minds can get very discontent. Yeah, okay. I can see that Eva's hand is up. So let's go to you, Evie. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, actually, uh, that's really interesting that you said that you just said that, David, because um, uh, I'm experiencing just that because when I was in Thailand, uh, you probably remember, um, I met my boyfriend then and uh, okay, we saw each other maybe twice a week. Then and during Thailand lockdown, we kind of moved in together and we, we saw each other every day. And now we're in France and we see each other uh, once a week because we study. And I found this very difficult because we live together and now we only see each other once a week. Like that's really tough. But now it's worse because we are in a full lockdown and you need like a certificate to go outside and um, this kind of thing. And now uh, we don't want to take the risk with the police. So we might see each other every two weeks instead of once a week. So this is, I know all of this, but uh, what you just explained, but it's very hard to implement that because in my head, it's like not normal that we, not, we don't see each other so much. And what am I supposed to do in the weekend if I don't see him every weekend? Like, and I'm trying to like, how do, yeah, I, I'm trying to think, oh, but it's not necessary and it's attachment, but it's, it's very tricky to, to think about that, but also to really experience that it's okay. Yes, indeed. So this is the mind craving permanence. It doesn't like that impermanent nature of how things have changed. That's shaken up the mind. And what Eve's also talking about there is, even though intellectually everything I'm saying might make perfect sense to you, and you guys might be thinking, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Yeah, I can see how that would be a much better way of existing and conducting life. But moving it from intellectual understanding to actually training the mind to accept this impermanence and also practice true love, that's the life practice. That's why attaining enlightenment is a gradual progression. When you're in these classes and you learn these teachings of the Buddha, you can't just snap your finger and then boom, you implement everything just because you understand it intellectually. So what you do is understanding true love is hopefully pointing out to you guys is helping you understand how, yes, indeed, craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations are truly the primary problem that Gautama Buddha discussed in the Four Noble Truths. This is the primary problem of the mind. So the way that we remedy that and we solve that is through breathing mindfulness meditation every single day, once, twice, three times a day, the more you ramp up that practice, the better. It's going to train the mind more and more and more to come into the present moment and train it to let go. So that's the gradual progression towards enlightenment is gradually ramping up your meditation practice to train the mind to be comfortable and understand this impermanence. And through this training of the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation, you will then be able to control the mind. So Part of it is that breathing, mindfulness, meditation. Part of it is practicing generosity and training the mind to let go through sharing, sharing your time, effort, energy, and resources. But then the other part of it is with mindfulness, that seventh step of the Eightfold Path, that awareness of mind is recognize the discontent feelings associated with this impermanence that Eve's experience. I'm 
glad she shared her example. Recognize with awareness of mind this impermanence. Recognize this change. Recognize how it's causing the mind to be discontent. But then apply right effort, which is the sixth step. Right effort is eliminate the unwholesome quality and arise the wholesome quality that's actively working to eliminate this longing and strong eagerness. So you have to be doing the meditations. You have to be doing the generosity and practicing generosity. But also in the moment, as you're reflecting and you're seeing the mind is discontent, you need to actively move the mind in a different direction. So rather than say, I don't know that Eve's doing this, but I can think back to my life in times where I was in these similar situations, rather than sitting on the sofa and being bored and lonely and missing your partner, you've got to apply right effort. You've got to move the mind in a different direction, pick up a new skill, learn an instrument, make some other friends, uh, do some projects, do some extra work. You need to find other activities that you can direct your attention towards so that you don't sink everything into this one person. You can't allow your entire life to just be based on this one person and this one relationship. If we judge ourselves and we look at ourselves as being successful or unsuccessful in this life based on how much time we spend with our significant other, then when you're only seeing them once every two weeks, then it's going to feel like things are not going well and this is an unsuccessful relationship. Because if the mind is holding on to this idea that two partners who are living a good life together have to see each other every day or have to see each other five times a week, and that's what the mind craves, when it goes to once every two weeks, it's going to feel like something's wrong in this relationship. This isn't right. So... You've got to train the mind to recognize the impermanent nature of how things have changed, where it went from every day here in Chiang Mai to once every two weeks now that you're in France. But then also recognize the impermanent nature of the once every two weeks, because that's impermanent as well. Even though you're on lockdown now and you're not able to see each other, that's impermanent. And at some point that will change and you guys will be able to come back together. And this is actually a really helpful time to train the mind to let go. And you've got to train the mind to be inwardly fulfilled, inwardly content, whether you're with this person or you're not. You've got to create more of a life for yourself where it's not just you and this other person and that's all you ever get involved in. So I would suggest for you, Eve, to do the meditations, breathing mindfulness meditations regularly every day, practice generosity, as well as have some other activities that you're involved in on a regular basis that don't include this person. And then even when you guys come back together and say you are seeing each other five, six, seven times a week, you've still got to maintain those other activities that you're involved in that are outside of this person. If you put all of your interest, all of your time and effort into this relationship and you don't have any other activity that you're involved in, when this relationship isn't happening the way you expect, then you don't have any other part of your life. That relationship becomes your whole life. So when that relationship isn't right, your whole life seems off and your mind is shaken up. 
So you need to have other friends, other activities, other things that you're involved in and maintain that even when you're able to come back together and be close together uh, more frequently. Maintain those other activities so that your life isn't just completely absorbed by this relationship. Thank you for sharing that, Eve. We have a question from Manal. Teacher David, what is the meaning of joy and laughter? Would you still experience these in the enlightened state? Is joyfulness an attachment? Okay, so to answer the first part of your question, when you're enlightened, yes, there's still joy and there's still laughter. There's much, much more joy and there's occasional laughter as well, but you're not grabbing onto that laughter and expecting it and craving it and trying to maintain the laughter. I'm sure you've been around people or you've been this person yourself where when you're with others, you just, there's constant laughter, just constant jokes, constant, constant, constant jokes, because maybe people are afraid of that silence. They're kind of afraid of just, let's just talk. So there's this constant, happy, excited, elated conversation going on just to keep everybody jovile. Well, that's just because the mind's uncomfortable with coming to the middle and just having a normal conversation. So in the enlightened mental state, there's plenty of joy and plenty of laughter if you like, but your mind is just not grabbing onto it. And that joy that you experience in the enlightened mental state, it's not based on any particular object, any possession or any relationship. It's just always inwardly joyful. Whether it's raining outside, whether it's sun, it's joyful. Whether you're with your significant other or without them, it's joyful. Whether you wake up or you're taking a nap, whether you're tired, whether you're eating, the mind is just constantly joyful all the time. And that's why they call Thailand the land of smiles because as the mind gets closer and closer to enlightenment, it's just easier and easier to smile. That accessibility to your smile is just easy to smile because you're inwardly joyful. So there's always going to be joy and always going to be laughter. That doesn't go away. And in fact, the quality of the joy and laughter is more pure because it's just always there and it's always accessible. The other part of your question is, is joy an attachment? Joy is a feeling or a mental state. It's not an attachment itself. What an attachment is, is attachment is a longing and a strong eagerness. It's a longing and a strong eagerness. So joy being a feeling and craving, desire, attachment being a longing with a strong eagerness. If the mind has craving, desire, attachment, if it has a mental longing and a strong eagerness for joy, then it's going to cause itself to be discontent. Because when it doesn't have it, then the mind's going to be discontent because of the longing and strong eagerness. But you get rid of the conditioned mind where it doesn't have craving, desire, attachment anymore. You've trained it through breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and generosity to eliminate this longing and strong eagerness, this outward seeking for satisfaction. When the mind's no longer looking outside of itself, for satisfaction, it's eliminated this longing and strong eagerness. Now it's just always joyful. You've eliminated all the pollution of the mind. You've eliminated the craving, anger, ignorance, self, and ego. You've eliminated all those 10 fetters. 
you've trained the mind and eliminated all this stuff from the mind. So what you get is you get this naturally pure, unconditioned mind that's now purified and it's always joyful. It's always peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because all the pollution's gone. Now the brilliance or the light is shining through. But as long as there's this pollution of craving, anger, ignorance, the self, and the ego, as long as there's this pollution of the taints or the ten fetters, that is what's bogging the mind down and the light isn't shining through. The purity of the mind isn't shining through. So you've got to get rid of all of this so the purity and the brightness can shine through. This is why sometimes people say, you're already enlightened. You're already enlightened. You just have to remove all the pollution so that it will shine through. I tend to say you need to attain enlightenment or you need to experience enlightenment. You need, as you learn and practice, you will attain enlightenment. But another way to think of this is the mind is already enlightened. It's just burdened with all this pollution of the three poisons and the 10 fetters. And when you train the mind and eliminate all that, then the brightness of the enlightened mind can shine through. And that's why it flickers. As you get closer and closer, you can kind of see a week or two of everything so peaceful and wonderful. And then boom, you get hit with some discontentedness based on your craving, desire, attachment. Now you work through that and then you get four weeks of peacefulness. And wow, everything's so wonderful. Boom, you get hit with some discontentness again. Now you're discontent for a few days. Then you get three months where, wow, the mind's so peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So this is the light flickering. And eventually you get to the point where the mind is just always permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So there's joy, which is a feeling. There's craving, desire, attachment, which is a mental longing with a strong eagerness. Sure, we would like to have the joy, but as long as the mind's longing for it and having a strong eagerness for it, it will never get it. It might get it temporarily, but it won't be permanent. The way to make it permanent is to eliminate that longing and strong eagerness so now the mind just resides permanently joyful, unattached, no longer seeking external satisfaction outside of itself, but it's inwardly satisfied. Okay, I can see James, your hand is up, so I will unmute you, James. It seems that oftentimes people seek out relationships to satisfy base cravings. So I was wondering for an inward belief, fulfilled person, then, if there would be motivating factors to seek out relationships. Yeah, relationships are really good. You know, as the mind becomes more and more enlightened, you will be able to have relationships with ease. It'll be very seamless for you. You'll be able to approach people because there's no shyness, there's no fear. You'll be able to talk with anybody that you come in contact with without that shyness and without that fear and also without attachment where you've got to be talking to this person every day or every two days and you've got to know everything that's going on in their life. Without those things, you can approach people. You're not fearful. You're not shyful. And if you talk to them once a month or once every six months or once every three or four years, you're fine with that because the mind doesn't have this craving, desire, attachment. It's not looking at the value of this relationship and the quality of this relationship through how many times are we in touch with each other. 
Sometimes people will say, oh, this is my best friend. We talk every day. And the reason why they're calling them the best friend is because you talk every day. That's actually craving desire attachment. That's not true love. Where if that person who talks every day now moves to once a week, now that's not my best friend anymore, right? That's craving desire attachment. So a person who is moving towards enlightenment, sure, they're still going to have friends. They're going to still make friends and they're actually going to be able to have a lot more people in the world that they interact with and that they're friends with and that they're friendly with because the mind is never experiencing discontentedness. It means that every relationship they have, there is no discontentedness in it. So since Eve's here, I'll use Eve as an example. I met Eve probably eight months ago here in Chiang Mai. And she was in a couple of classes with me. She came to my house a few times, learned a few times. But I haven't heard from Eve in, I don't know, maybe four or five months or so, maybe three months. I don't know how long it's been. I haven't thought about Eve. I'm not concerned about Eve. I'm not worried about Eve. I know she's a big girl. But as soon as I see Eve, it's like, hey, Eve, how are you? You know, and I remember her and her boyfriend. And I know the whole story because we spent time together talking and I've been helping her learn the teachings. But we didn't have to maintain this constant contact for her to be updating me what's going on in her life. When she decided to go to France away from Chiang Mai, it was just like, okay, I'll see you later. She came and say goodbye. And I, I said, all right, see you later. And there wasn't this worry or this outward searching. I wonder what Eve's doing. I wonder what Eve's doing. So by doing that, by having relationships where when you're together, you're in the present moment, you're spending good, wholesome time with each other. You're not causing any harm through your speech or your actions. There's no discontentedness in this relationship between Eve and I whatsoever. So therefore, she feels completely comfortable coming back and seeing me and learning with me. And I feel completely comfortable spending time with her. But we don't have to have this constant time of absorbing in each other's life to constantly know the play by play. So therefore, we can actually enjoy many more relationships and our relationships can be even more fulfilling because there's no discontentedness whatsoever, right? And I can go on, you know, in the last two years of now re-engaging with these teachings, I've probably interacted with somewhere around five to 10,000 people in that two year time frame. And people come in and out and learning with me at different times. And I can have all these different people that I'm friendly with and that they're friendly with me because I'm not causing harm to them. There's no discontentedness in my mind. They feel completely comfortable having relationships with me or joining classes where in the past I would feel like, you know, my younger years that in order to have a friend, I have to call them once a week or once every three or four days, or I have to maintain this constant contact. And you can only do that with a limited number of people. And it becomes very burdensome for you and the other person. And then if you miss calling the person, then they maybe feel like you slighted them or you don't like them and they're angry about that because you didn't call them. And then there's like this discontentedness in the relationship. So there's still an interest in an enlightened being's mind to have relationships and the relationships are actually much more fulfilling because there's never any discontentedness in the relationships thank you we have a comment from baby in zoom 
I think it's normal to have expectations in relationships. It's just that one should not be disturbed when things do not turn out as expected. This is where it's important to understand how I'm describing expectations. What we talk about in relationships in the unenlightened state as expectations, this is truly craving, desire, attachment in wants, expecting a certain outcome. I expect my wife to do the laundry. I expect her to bring home a certain amount of money. I don't have sex with her anymore, but I expect to have sex with her every day. I expect that when she sees me, she's going to tell me that she loves me. I expect that when she leaves the house, she will tell me where she's going, give me a hug and a kiss, and then I love you and say goodbye. If all these expectations are in my mind, I'm wanting this certain outcome. Those things aren't going to be true 100%. Therefore, I'm going to cause my mind to be discontent. I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be frustrated or annoyed at some point if I allow the mind to hold on to all these expectations. Instead, where you're going to find that the relationship blossoms and becomes more peaceful and content with joy is that you don't expect all of these things from your partner, but together you just work together in order to live life. So what a craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations are is where the mind has this longing with a strong eagerness for that specific outcome that you're talking about. So what you're saying is actually correct, but you're saying it a little bit odd and you're kind of misunderstanding a little bit. What you're saying is expectation is fine as long as you don't have a certain desire for the outcome. Well, what I'm saying is an expectation is a desire for a certain outcome. And as long as that expectation is there for that desire for a certain outcome, the mind's going to be discontent. So that's the difference in the way that we're talking here. And also on Sunday, David, we talked about discernment because expectations is one thing and that's our craving, desire, attachment. But not having expectations doesn't mean that we won't apply some discernment and have certain things that we would be willing to accept and not accept in a relationship. For example, we might not be willing to accept someone who's taking intoxicants that cause heedlessness. We, we might not be willing to accept someone who is uh, lying. And it doesn't mean we're judging them. It just means that we know that if we are to engage in that relationship based on what we're willing to accept, that's probably not going to produce a wholesome result. Yes, I talked on Sunday. Was it baby that you said? Um, yeah, baby. We talked on Sunday about how there's craving, desire, attachment, wants, expectations, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. And as you're saying, expecting a certain outcome. But then there are certain needs in a relationship. If I'm going to be in a relationship with my wife, I need her to be polite, to be kind, to be respectful, to be friendly. If she wasn't those things, I wouldn't be interested in a relationship with her. Now, if she is disrespectful to me, which she's been many times, or she's been angry, or she's been upset with me, that doesn't, at this point, 
that doesn't cause my mind to be discontent, right? So while I would like and I need to have a partner who is polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, I recognize that if I maintain that as an expectation that I expect my wife to never be angry, I expect her to be polite and respectful all the time, then when she's not, my mind's going to be discontent if I maintain that as an expectation, as a longing with a strong eagerness. Now, what's happening with my wife and I is as she's practicing these teachings more and more, her anger, her disrespect, her impoliteness has went way down and she very rarely gets angry anymore, which makes our life and our relationship so much better. But in the past, when neither one of us were really training our mind and practicing these teachings closely, oh, there was anger and hostility and discontentness all over the place. I'm sure all of you guys have been in these relationships before where you've argued, you've hollered, you've slammed doors, you might have thrown things, you might have one person had to leave the house while the other person stayed there. But as you age together and you learn these teachings and you practice these teachings, you come into more of an in sync with each other where your life becomes more peaceful, more calm, more serene, more content, more joyful. I saw Jacqueline just now. Her husband must be going out to work. He came and gave her a little kiss on the forehead and she had a big smile. That was so lovely, right? So you kind of learn as you get older together, you kind of learn how to live with each other peacefully. But now if Jacqueline expected her husband to come give her a kiss before he left and he didn't do that, her mind's going to be discontent. She's going to feel sad. She's going to feel upset, maybe annoyed that he didn't come kiss her. But she didn't have an expectation, probably. She didn't know. And he just happened to come kiss her. Wow. So joyful because she didn't have that expectation. So that's the difference between having an expectation, which is a longing and strong eagerness for that specific outcome versus just going through life with your partner, your children, your parents, your siblings, without these desires for a certain outcome, that those desires, those specific outcomes that you want, you think that's what's going to fulfill the mind because the mind wants those pleasant feelings. But what you realize is is, as long as you get what you want, the mind's happy. But then when you don't get what you want, then the mind is sad or angry. So you've got to get rid of all of that and stop looking externally for this satisfaction and have no expectations. But at the same time, realize that, yes, wise decision making discernment, it's wise to have relationships with people that are polite, kind, friendly, respectful and things like this. But realize that not everybody's going to be that way with you. Thank you, David. We have no more questions this time. Okay. So that was our little recap on true love and kind of like diving into it a little bit more because we've got some new people that have joined us today. And we've also talked on Sunday at this at length, but it's a meaty topic. You know, you really should probably go through this chapter several times. You should spend some time really thinking about what we've been talking about. Listen back to the podcast or 
the videos that are being recorded on these topics. Spend some time with me in private conversations that you can schedule online so that we can do audio video chat and I can help you to further understand this because like the question that baby came up with, it's good to share that so I can see where you might be misunderstanding things and help you to further understand this. And then as I always say, don't believe what I'm saying here. Don't believe what I'm sharing with you, but learn the teachings, understand them, and then practice this on your own. Reflect on what it is that I'm sharing with you and put it into practice so you can see that it works. That when you have a certain expectation for your partner, your child, your parent to be a certain way and do certain things, your mind's going to be discontent. Whereas if you can just be satisfied with what is, if my husband kisses me on the way to work, fine. If he doesn't, fine. I'm fine either way, right? So when you see this in practice and you see that it's actually true, then you've got wisdom. And with this newfound wisdom, you will slowly start to function in the world differently. And that's what it means to move on this path to enlightenment. This path to enlightenment is learning the teachings intellectually, bringing them into the mind through books, audiobooks, podcasts, classes, all these different things that we offer, personal discussions, bring the teachings into the mind intellectually. Reflect on those. Don't believe them. Reflect on those. Understand them. Apply them in practice and see that when it works and that you see and observe the truth, now you've got wisdom. And now the mind will have a better experience practicing these teachings more and more readily where now it will become first nature for you. To move from the unenlightened mind to the enlightened mind, it's essentially like upgrading the operating system of your computer. You're moving from the unenlightened version 1.0 to enlightened version 9.0. And there's a lot of steps in between in order to get up to that new operating system. But once you get on that new operating system, everything moves so much more fluidly, so much more easily, right? But it's a bit of a challenge to work through all those different versions to get to this enlightened mind. And when you do, you'll gain more and more peacefulness and you'll see the truth for yourself that the condition of the mind is gradually improving. And it just takes time to work in that direction. It's not gonna be just one talk about true love and boom, you get it. It's not gonna be one discussion about meditation and boom, you get it. It's not gonna be one time you meditate and boom, you get it, right? It's this gradual deepening and expanding of your learning and practice and moving closer and closer to the enlightened mind. So with that said, let's talk about loving kindness. Loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. This is one of those Brahma Viharas that we talked about a week and a half ago. Loving kindness is essentially true love, where you have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and be peaceful. You're not judging other people. You're not measuring. You're not comparing. You're not looking down on people. You're not looking up to people. You are essentially 
always maintaining this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. Even when people are hostile to you, even when they're disrespectful, even when they're impolite, even if they've harmed you, like people in your past, if you've got an ex-partner who did some harmful things to you, doesn't mean you agree with their speech and their actions, but you've got to get the mind to a place where you have active goodwill without judging them, where you wish them well and be peaceful. doesn't mean you have to talk to them or even tell them that you're moving the mind in this direction, but you need to actively develop this goodwill towards them. If you've had parents or siblings or friends or coworkers that have caused harm and in your mind, you still have anger, hatred, ill will, frustration, annoyance, resentment towards these people. If there's any hostility in your mind whatsoever, even to one person or one being, you have to eradicate that from the mind so that the mind can be liberated from this hatred, anger, and ill will. Because what loving kindness is, is loving kindness is the antidote to this unwholesome qualities of hatred, anger, and ill will. Through you learning and practicing loving kindness meditation, you are cultivating this active goodwill in the mind so that then in a day-to-day basis, you can be practicing it with all the people that you're around and people from your past who you may not ever see. So you need to cultivate in the mind this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, where you have this genuine interest in all beings being well and being peaceful. This meditation, it starts with you. And this is why we talked on Sunday about true love. It really starts with you. If you don't love yourself, then you're going to have trouble practicing true love with other people. If you have negative, disparaging thoughts in the mind, if you judge yourself, if you put expectations and wants and desires on yourself where you're constantly pushing, pushing, pushing yourself based on certain things that you want and desire in this world, that's what you're going to do to other people. So this practice of breathing mindfulness meditation along with loving kindness meditation that we're going to do today, it starts with you. That's why you are training yourself. You're not going out and trying to teach everyone else to have loving kindness. This practice, this path to enlightenment, it's all about your mind because that's the only mind that you can actually train. You can't train somebody else's mind. So when we're doing this meditation, while we're going to be involving other people in our meditation in terms of what we're doing to cultivate loving kindness, we're not sending loving kindness to them. We're not trying to convince them through our meditation to be more loving and kind to us. We're not praying that they should be more loving and kind to us, right? Because that's a craving, desire, attachment, wanting people to be loving and kind to you. It's not wrong to have an interest to be around people that have loving kindness. But if you want it, if you crave it, if you desire it, if you have the expectation, then as soon as you're around someone who's not that way, you're going to be discontent. So what this practice is all about, the whole path to enlightenment, it's all about training your mind. 
And by you training your mind and you putting out more loving kindness in your day-to-day life through the various relationships that you have, what you're going to experience is that's going to come back to you through the natural law of gamma. So if I treat my son and my wife and my students and all these people around me, they're not my son or my wife or my students, but all these relationships around me, if I treat these people with loving kindness, with this active goodwill towards them, where I have this genuine interest in them being well, in them being peaceful, the more that I do that, other people will treat me exactly the same way. And more and more people will treat you that way in your life. And this is why it's a gradual process of you changing your intention, speech, and actions. And as you change that and you're practicing these teachings in the world, more and more of what you're practicing will actually come back to you. What we're going to do today is loving kindness meditation, where we're going to go into meditation And we're going to do affirmations in the mind to cultivate this active goodwill towards all beings. We're going to say in the mind, may I be peaceful. And we're going to do that on the out breath. Okay. Then in the mind, you're going to say, may I be safe. You can take another breath. May I be well. Another breath. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Essentially, you're saying, may I eliminate this craving, desire, attachment and attain enlightenment so I can get rid of all this discontentedness, right? Then we're going to expand our ring a little bit further. Now here, we're going to include other people. We might say, may we or may our family or our friends or who other people... But that is to cultivate that in our mind towards these other people. This isn't to try to convince them because we can't. There's nothing we can do in meditation to convince somebody else of something. There's nothing we can do in meditation to train somebody else. There's not some special power that's zapping from our mind over to James or Max or Jacqueline and changing you through what I'm doing here. What I'm doing and what you're doing is you're changing your mind, right? So even though we're including these rings, we're cultivating this active goodwill towards all beings in our mind for other people so that when we're around those people, then we can practice this active goodwill. We can practice this genuine interest in seeing them be well and be peaceful. And if you've got people in your life that you're holding resentment, anger, and hatred for, then you should be including them in your rings as you practice this on your own. So this meditation has a bit of creativity. So I'm going to structure a guided meditation just that can generally apply to all of us. But when you do this on your own, you should be doing this based on your own individual practice. So if you have challenges to love yourself, you might do this meditation just for you and that's it. And then as you cultivate loving kindness for yourself more and more, expand it out to include more and more people. But the last ring should be all beings. You're not interested in leaving anybody out in your meditation. You're not interested in disincluding anybody. 
you need to include everybody in your meditation because that's what you're cultivating the mind to develop, which is this active goodwill without judgment, this genuine interest in all beings being well and be peaceful. We're going to start our meditation with me just doing a little bit of chanting. Then I'm going to do a little bit of a guided meditation with breathing mindfulness meditation. And I'll kind of leave you on your own for a bit. Then I'm going to come back in with loving kindness meditation. And when I say it, you just cultivate it in the mind. You don't actually say it out loud. If I was doing this on my own, I wouldn't actually say these out loud. So if you're doing this on your own, you just cultivate it in the mind. And then once we're done with our loving kindness meditation, we'll finish up with a chant at the end. Okay. Any questions on what we're doing in meditation? Does anybody need any clarification on how we actually are going to do our loving kindness meditation today? Not at the moment, David. We do have a question, but it's relating to someone's practice. So I suggest we maybe save that one until after the meditation. Okay, that sounds good, Max. So you guys go ahead and get into your meditation position, whether it's sitting on the floor or sitting in a chair. Just make your lower body comfortable. In your upper body, just allow your spine to be erect, right? Don't slouch and don't be real rigid, but you want to maintain active muscles so that maintains the alertness and attentiveness in the mind if you are sitting cross leg don't make your legs too too tight because then your legs will have a tendency to fall asleep at any time if you feel pain just move and adjust your position so that you don't feel pain in the body because it's hard to train the mind if all you feel is pain so you need to get the body into a comfortable but not luxurious position if you're sitting in a chair, that might mean your legs are crossed or your feet are flat on the floor, up to you. Your upper body is erect. Your hands and arms are placed in your lap or on your knees or anywhere comfortable. The Buddha placed his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, and then he placed that in his lap. And if that's comfortable for you, you can use that. But if it's not, just place your hands and arms somewhere else where your muscles aren't engaged. If you're sitting in a chair, don't lean back and become very luxurious. Maintain your posture so that your upper body is erect, which maintains the alertness of the mind. Now just close your eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just some nice, steady, consistent breaths. You're not interested in forcing the breath or controlling it. You just like to have a nice, natural, steady, consistent breath in through the nose and out through the nose. As you're breathing in and out through the nose, fixate the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. If there's any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that come into the mind, just let them go and focus on the breath. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation, and then I'll be back with some guidance.
Establish a nice, steady, consistent breath. Don't force it. Just observe the breath. Is it short? Is it long? Fixate the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. The mind can be peaceful in the present moment. As thoughts of the past or the future arise, just let them go, cut them off, and bring the mind to the breath, the present moment. If there's thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that come to the mind, cut those off, let them go. 
bring the mind to the present moment, the breath. Through training the mind this way, you will then be able to control the mind more and more, fixating it only on the breath in the present moment. Don't judge your thoughts, don't label them. As soon as you observe that a thought has arised, just cut it off, let it go. Bring it to the breath. Fixate the mind on the breath. I'm not even interested in your mind fixating on the sound of my voice. So I'm going to be quiet now and just let you cut off the thoughts and fixate the mind on the breath. Let those thoughts go. Train the mind so that you can control it. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time. Focus on the breath.
now while maintaining the focus on the breath, incorporate these affirmations into the mind. As you take a nice deep breath, or a short breath, or whatever type of natural breath that you've developed, say this affirmation in the mind. May I be well, and then exhale. May I be safe. free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May we be safe. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those beings whom I love be peaceful. 
may they be safe. May they be well. free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who love me be peaceful. May they be safe. free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those whom I don't love be peaceful. May they be safe.
May they be well. May they be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. life be peaceful. free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all those who have harmed me be peaceful. be safe. be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. of the earth and far, far beyond, may all beings be peaceful. safe. be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
to start coming out of meditation what questions do you guys have about the meditation itself any experiences you had during meditation any questions about breathing mindfulness meditation loving kindness meditation true love anything that we've been discussing today or in this program at any point. We have a question from Kunal. He says, how to let go of suffering? I cannot accept my suffering. I'm going through restlessness and anxiety. I'm practicing mindfulness, but I always do it hoping to get something and I can't let it go. And also whenever I'm restless, I can't get my mind saying what the suffering isn't going, I can't let that be with me. The only way to eliminate your discontent mind 
and the suffering that it causes is for you to take a comprehensive approach to learning and practicing the entire path to enlightenment. A lot of what I heard there in your question was about meditation. Meditation is just one component of a practice that you need to develop in order to progress on the path to enlightenment. There's a complete comprehensive path that you need to learn and practice on this path to enlightenment. You need guidance from a teacher, you need resources, you need to actively learn the entire path. And the only way to do that is to seek guidance with the teacher that can share the teachings with you and help you develop on this path to enlightenment. So wherever you're watching this, you need to get in touch with me so that I can get you access to the resources that I share. The book, the audiobook, videos, podcasts, quizzes, these online classes, in-person classes, personal, private guidance that you can do through audio or video. There's a whole range of ways that I help people, but you've got to take the effort and energy to reach out and seek that guidance so that you can build this comprehensive life practice. It's a journey. Another thing that I heard in your question was about wanting something, wanting to get rid of the suffering, wanting to eliminate this discontent mind. As long as you want that, you want to experience it. You need to learn how to pursue this path as a goal, objective, or interest. And again, that's going to come with personal guidance with your teacher. So wherever you are watching this, just make sure you get in touch with me so that I can get you involved in all the various resources that I have available for you to start learning and practicing this path. It's the only thing that I've ever discovered that will completely and entirely eliminate discontentedness from the mind where the mind becomes peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. Okay. Okay. Thank you, David. It appears we have no more questions. Okay. Well, what I'll do then is just share a couple of things regarding some new offerings that you guys have available to you. In addition to our normal schedule of Sunday and Wednesday classes, I'm now starting to add Saturday classes where we're going to start out this Saturday, just a couple of days from now, where it's going to be a live guided meditation. It's essentially going to be, hello, welcome, glad you're here. Take your meditation position. Let's start meditating right away. So that's going to start happening on Saturday, and it'll probably be 20, 30 minute meditation. And then afterwards, we'll have time for questions if there's any questions, but we're going to go right into meditation right away. We're going to be doing that for the next two months. That's going to help us all through the winter. The winter months are oftentimes very challenging for the mind because there's lots of changes. It oftentimes gets darker, quicker. The, the sunshine is less and less and less. The weather oftentimes turns cold. And this is change of the weather affects the mind. So oftentimes people experience a lot of sadness. So rather than just sit with that sadness, what we're going to do is we're going to ramp up our classes here to give you further support and further encouragement to create a meditation practice to help you. So on Saturdays at nine o'clock Thai time, you can join in Zoom, 
Facebook live stream or YouTube live stream, and we're going to go right into meditation from the very beginning. And then if there's any questions, we'll talk afterwards. But if not, then we'll just say goodbye. As we get into January, on January 9th, we have the Pali Canon in English program that's going to start. This is where we're going to be studying the words of the Buddha from the book series Buddha Vajana, an anthology of Dhamma revealing the hidden. If you haven't gotten a set of these books yet, you can order these on our website, buddhadailywisdom.com, because you're going to need a set of these books. I'm working on getting PDFs of these books, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not. I've got seven of them already in PDF format, but I don't have all 13 of them. So you're going to need access to these books. So if you would like to join that program starting on January 9th, what we're going to be doing is we're going to continue with that meditation where every Saturday at nine o'clock Thai time, we're going to start with a meditation right away at the beginning of class. And then we're going to move into studying the Pali Canon in English, which is the actual words of the Buddha. And on that first session, January 9th, I'm going to teach you for about 30 minutes about how to approach learning his words, because his words are very profound. And it's important that you understand how to approach his teachings, because what I've been teaching in the group learning program is kind of like a bachelor's or master's degree in Buddhist studies on this path to enlightenment. Well, once you start learning from the Pali Canon, it's like a PhD program in Buddhist studies. So we're going to structure this program on Saturdays a bit different than what we've been doing with the group learning program. So if you've been learning in this group learning program for a few months, or if you've been studying on your own with the book and the podcast and things like that, then you can move right into the Pali Canon uh, study group. And that program is going to continue for seven months. And you can really join that program at any time. The group learning program kind of has a start, a middle, and an end. But that program with the Pali Canon in English study group, it's just going to be on a revolving schedule. And you can kind of come into that program at any point in time. So that's going to be available for you starting this Saturday. We're going to be doing meditation only and then a little bit of questions. And then in January, we'll actually get into meditating and then also studying the Pali Canon. So that's that. In addition, for those of you guys that are in Chiang Mai, starting on Thursdays, we have a 10.30 a.m. in-person meditation group session where we're going to be doing meditation and then teaching and discussion afterwards. This is every Thursday at Wat Tung Yu in Chiang Mai. So if you are in Chiang Mai or you're visiting Chiang Mai, you're welcome to come and join that. In addition to that, remember that you always have the ability to learn through personal guidance. You can reach out to me through a private message. You can click on the link that I share in our Facebook group that you can schedule an appointment with me to actually learn one-on-one. -on -one. That's really helpful for a lot of people. So if you check in once a month, once every two months, once a week, once every two weeks, totally up to you, but having some type of connection with your teacher so that you've got some guidance that you can seek and your teacher knows you a little bit can be really helpful for you. So I would like to make sure that you understand that that's available for you. So with all of these different offerings that we have available, 
you'll be able to progress now with classes three times a week with the YouTube channel, the Facebook group, the podcast, the personal guidance, the in-person classes. The only thing holding you back from enlightenment is you. Time, effort, and energy. is just put in your time, effort, and energy and you can learn and practice these teachings progressing on this path. So I'm really glad that you've joined us today. It's really wonderful to see that you guys are learning and practicing these teachings closely and looking to gain more and more understanding of the teachings so that you can see the truth for yourself, gaining more and more wisdom. This path to enlightenment, it's not quick. It's not a quick fix, but gradually, 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 you will work closer and closer to this enlightened mind where you will see these discontent feelings of anger, frustration, move down to irritation, annoyance, to a little bit of a dislike. And over time, you will slowly, gradually extinguish more and more of these discontent feelings. And then the brightness or the enlightened mind will shine through more and more and more. And as you do that, you're going to be so pleased with the amount of time, effort, and energy that you put in to learning and practicing these teachings. Because while there's a big ramp up for you to ramp up on these teachings and get closer and closer to enlightenment, once you do that, and as you do that, then the rest of your life, you can just enjoy the peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. Enjoy the benefits of all that hard work. It's kind of like putting all the effort into building a house. You build the foundation, you put up the walls, you do the paint, you do the roof, you plant the garden, you do all these things to build this beautiful house, and then you just get to enjoy it for the rest of your life if you choose to stay in that house for the rest of your life. So your mind is like building a house. You're clearing out all the confusion, all the discontentedness, all these three poisons and these 10 fetters. You're clearing all that dust out. You're getting all that cobwebs out, all that pollution out of the mind. You're purifying the mind. And as you do, you're going to gain more and more peacefulness in the mind. And then you just get to enjoy it the rest of your life. So during the winter and during these COVID time, this is a perfect time while you're inside and kind of somewhat secluded to really work on this path and progress so that you can then put in the time, effort, and energy to improve the condition of the mind through training the mind so that you can control the mind and then reap the rewards and benefits as you continue to enjoy that peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So thank you for joining. We'll see you on Saturday for meditation or on Sunday, we're moving into chapter 15, which is the difficult human existence, sickness, aging, and death, or next Wednesday, which will be chanting because I took a poll on Facebook and it looks like everybody that responded, there was the majority of the people were interested in maintaining the chanting and continuing to learn chanting. So we'll continue to do that on next Wednesday. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Treat everybody wonderful. Be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to everybody and anyone you come in contact with, including your own self, your own mind. Be polite to yourself. Be kind. Be friendly. Be respectful. 
Get rid of any negative talk that may be in there. Just take the effort to cut out that unwholesomeness and bring in the wholesome qualities of the mind. Until next time, have a wonderful day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.